Welcome to Have Hope, Will Travel, the show where we get to know people who are different than we are. We hear diverse perspectives and we better understand others' stories. We allow the world to become a smaller place while we get to stand with people instead of just having an opinion on issues. I'm your host, Katie Axelson. First, how do you like the new music? In episode 76, it felt like it was time for some new tunes. Hope you love them. Let me know what you think. Second of all, this episode is part of a two-part conversation that I had with Marla Taviano of White Girl Learning. In this episode, we're going to hear Marla's story of being a Christian missionary, her story of deconstruction, and her story of divorce. In the next episode, we're going to dive deeper into learning about race from a white perspective. What's helpful? What's not? How can we contribute to racial reconciliation? Be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss that one. Welcome to Have Hopeful Travel. I'm your host, Katie Axelson. Today, we're here with Marla Taviano of White Girl Learning. Marlo, welcome to the show. Thank you, Katie. I'm really excited about this. I'm excited about this too. The chatting that we've gotten to do so far, I love your passion for getting to know different stories, getting to know different perspectives, which is what Have Hopeful Travel is all about. I would love to hear your own story of what did it look like, your journey that led you uh, obviously to Cambodia and then home. Okay, so before we started, um, before we joined the multi-ethnic church plant, Mm-hmm. We were at a church that they sponsored an orphan home in Cambodia. We're watching these um, videos where they're trying to get people to go on these mission, mission trips. Uh-huh. So I tell my husband at the time, I would love to go on one of these trips because I'd wanted yeah. to go overseas ever since I was in Japan. And sure. he said to me, um, looking back now, I'm like, okay, this is, I should have listened. Um, he said, listen, all all these videos are showing a bunch of white people pushing brown kids on swings and they're paying like $2,500 to go over there. I don't see the Mm. point of it. Mm. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to pray about this and pray that God changes his mind. Well, I did pray about it. And he actually came to me. And again, I don't know what I believe about all this, but he came to me and said, do you still want to go to Cambodia? And I said, absolutely. We went to Cambodia for 10 days and met all these kids, pushed them on swings and mm-hmm. met a woman who had an anti-trafficking organization. There's um, human trafficking of little ones is very prevalent oh, in yeah. Cambodia. Mm. Um, and so she was at open the kids center was helping to fight that. They had people who were like lawyers who were helping the kids win these cases against foreigners who were pedophiles. And then mm-hmm. a lot of times these kids are being sold actually to uh, like to Cambodians. It's just this big thing. And my heart was just broken. And I knew I wanted to go back and help in some way. Mm-hmm. So that was July, 2010. When we got back, our kids are really little, um, like nine and seven and four or something. And yeah. um, they said to us, we want to go to Cambodia. So the next time you go to Cambodia, take us. Sure. I thought, well, that is a big, that's <laughs> a, a big, big commitment. Yeah. Yeah. But we decided we're going to do it. I was like, we're going to sell a bunch of stuff. We would babysit for people. We'd clean their houses. We would do, I tried to sell mm-hmm. books. Um, and we saved up like almost enough money to buy plane tickets. We were going to stay for two weeks. And then we decided let's go for three weeks. If we're spending all this money, we'll go yeah. for three. It turned out to be a five week trip. That wow. was from December 11th to Jan- so December 11th, 2011 mm-hmm. to January 12th, 2012. Over Christmas. And everything. On wow. October, yeah. So on October mm-hmm. 29th, of 2011, we were at a harvest party at our church. My husband was playing basketball. He bent over and was saying that his chest hurt. Oh, no. I 
was not very sympathetic. So the the short story of that is someone else called the ambulance. They came, took him to the hospital. He had a massive heart attack and oh. would have died. So that was five weeks before we were scheduled to go to Cambodia, a developing country with no Western healthcare. Yep. And um, once I saw that he was going to be okay, then I burst into tears about not being able to go to Cambodia. Well, then sure. we're getting ready to leave. So I spent my birthday. My birthday's on Halloween. So I spent my mm -hmm. birthday in the hospital that year. Um, and as we were getting ready to go home, we I said to the doctor, "What we have a trip for, to Cambodia scheduled on December 11th. And he's like, oh, no problem. You're fine. You can go. Wow. Like, wow. So we went and it was amazing. It was also hard. And I was thinking to myself, I want to move to this country and live here. Sure. And my husband was not on board. And then New Year's Eve or day, I can't remember now, but we woke up and he said that he had had this vision, that God gave him this vision that we were supposed to move to Cambodia and that wow. he was going to teach young people how to do web design and photography like he okay. did. At that point, I was kind of over Cambodia. We've been there a long time now. And I'm like, sure. oh gosh, I don't know if I could do this. We decided to do it. So we came back and we were going to sell our house, pay off the little bit of debt that we still had. And we sure. were going to move. The girls were on board. Two weeks later, we were in the ER. He was having chest pains. They thought it was another oh, heart attack. He had yeah. had this happen in Cambodia too. And I thought he was going to die in Cambodia. He didn't. Um, more emergency visits found out that these were panic attacks. So he was having anxiety and panic attacks that lasted for three more years. Instead of us going to Cambodia, we racked up medical debt. Um, he lost his yeah. job. We lost wow. our house. In um, the end of 2013, we moved into an apartment complex called Abbey Lane. It was primarily Somali and Eritrean refugees. Wow. And our church had a tutoring apartment there that we were working with. So we moved into this apartment to kind of be neighbors, but also because we lost our house and sure. we couldn't really afford this. And yeah. this was another wake up call, another wake up call that when we needed something in our apartment, we would get it. When mm. our Somali neighbors needed something, they would get ignored. And so we would go advocate for our yeah, neighbors and sometimes sure. it would help and sometimes it wouldn't. We, we look back at that year with nostalgia. We were there for a year before we ended up moving to Cambodia. Yeah. It was a hard year, but it was beautiful. There were times when we literally had no money to our name, like $0 wow. anywhere. And our Somali neighbors would invite us over for a feast on their living room floor. Like they were, they were better wow. neighbors to us than, than, than yeah. we were to them. So then a lot of stuff happened and we did decide to move to Cambodia in January, 2015. Again, my husband who had a hard time leaving the house because of his anxiety was on a walk and felt like God was telling him, I healed you and you're going to move wow. to Cambodia. So we did that with not a very solid plan. We just decided we can do this. We can, um, we had some families supporting us, the church supporting us, but we also brought in money ourselves. He did sure. web design. I did my writing and editing. Um, so we started out and went to language school for a while and learned the language so we can yeah. all speak to varying degrees. My kids better than me. I learned to read the script, um, which is one of my big life accomplishments because I, I, str I struggle with speaking it. Um, sure. I can. And they're always very impressed because very, very, very few white people ever learn this language. Uh, but it doesn't mean that I can speak really well. Um, then we started doing, we started working with the organization that did the human trafficking. We did that for a while. Um, some different things that I won't go into, but with an organization in a church where we got quote unquote fired from both of them for 
for in both times, our our <laughs> sin that we committed was losing confidence in our director or losing confidence in our pastor, which wow. is funny to me because that's not really a <laughs> that's not something that you do wrong. That's we don't think what you're doing is right. And by questioning right. them, wow. we got fired. But in the meantime, we started this thing called Bamboo Libraries. Um, one of my coworkers at the place where we got fired from came to me and said, I want to start a library out in the village. Would you be able to help me? Oh, well, wow. hello, like books are my favorite thing in the yeah. whole entire world. So that started in 2017 and it is still going. So we have five cool. libraries and a preschool. Since then, two of the libraries, want, we're building these on people's land. So they are generously mm -hmm. allowing like yeah. all of these kids to come to their land. And because it's like a village, it's not like, here's my land, here's your land. It's sure. very communal. Um, but it was a big thing to ask someone. So in one of the cases, their daughter got married and they built her a house and they wanted it to be right where this library was. So we gave it to them as like an outdoor kitchen as a wow. part of their house. So that's no longer a library. It's that another mm -hmm. family, um, one of their children died and the husband left and they needed money mm -hmm. and they turned their library into a mini like a mini mart, like it's okay. just, or they, sure. they could sell things. So we gave them like a lump sum to, to buy all the stuff they needed and to yeah. start that. And we're getting ready to build another one and we don't do anything. It's, I just raised the money and then it's all Cambodian wow. builders and staff yeah. and they're in charge and they, I don't do it's, I don't oversee it or anything. Cool. Um, so we did that. So in the meantime, my daughter, my oldest daughter met a Kamai, Kamai is the word for Cambodian, met a Kamai young man. Um, they fell in love and they um, got engaged. We decided to move back to the States for lots of different reasons. Um, but our two youngest, mostly like they were struggling more. Our oldest one was sure. doing great, but we just realized that our time, Cambodia doesn't need us. Cambodia never right. needed us and right. we can do what we're doing from the U S and so we decided yeah. to move back. This is, we did not know about a pandemic. We, we actually heard about the pandemic in Cambodia first because sure. we were so close to China and we had Chinese tourists coming in like right into our town. Um, and that stopped and all this. Yeah. So we had a really hard time getting plane tickets out. Oh, my daughter's, my daughter's fiance at the time, his visa interview, the, the U S embassy closed down their visa interview was canceled. They got stuck in Cambodia. Mm. So my husband and I, and my other two daughters, we moved March 20th, 2020. Wow. Last plane out of Cambodia. Yeah. Left my other daughter there in the middle of pandemic. That was, the, she got to come. They both got to come three months later. Okay. They did an emergency visa interview for them. But that was like the three most anxious months of my life to have my daughter in a foreign country by herself with a global pandemic that I had yeah. no idea. Like she's going to get COVID and die because how right. will she... There's no way. And so it was just a nightmare. I can't so imagine being here. on the last plane out, leaving her behind. Okay. I, <laughs> I, can't even, like, I cannot even tell you it was, I mean, the, the days leading up to it, because we didn't find out until I want to say like a week before we left, we, we didn't, they were going to come with us. Like we didn't sure. know that they weren't. Um, and so then those days I just, bald like I was bald yeah. all the time oh, so my now son-in-law there was a time he would like put his arms around me and he said I'll take care of her I'll be like her stepmom mm -hmm. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> okay <laughs> so we came back and then they got here in June they got married in our living room at the beginning of August 
And then at the end of August, my husband went to see his family in Ohio for 10 days, came back on Labor Day. So this is tomorrow is Labor Day when we're recording this interview and told me that he wanted a divorce and he was leaving. Oh my gosh. And we had, without going into all of it, the, the two months prior had been rough. Like we had had a rough marriage, but we'd worked through so many sure. things. And the the previous two months, he had just turned ice cold, like wouldn't mm. talk to me. I And I thought, I don't know if he's just going through something or why he's so mad at me or whatever. I know now he was like bracing himself to leave. Yeah. Like he... Yeah it's kind of a, a cowardly thing that he did. Like there was no, let's talk through this. Let's figure sure. it out. So that was September 7th, 2020. Um, and so I was here in this house in a new oh state my with my daughter and son-in-law who live with me. And then my other two daughters and okay. he left. And at the time I was making like $250 a week. Um, sure. I was trying to work on a book and he had gotten a job um, for once. So I thought we were doing okay. And then he left yeah. his job with them. Um, wow. He hasn't seen his kids in two years. It's a long, big, sad story. Wow. But so for four months, um, he had told my brother-in-law, not me, that there was someone who cared for him. Like apparently he, there was another woman. Cause he had told yeah. me when my daughters asked him, when he sat us all down to tell us this, they said, is there another woman? He said, I'm not playing that game right now, which is a non-answer. So my brother-in-law confronted him and said, what's the deal? And he said, yes, there's someone who cares for me. So I'm trying to think of who this person is. In January of 2021, right before my daughter's 16th, no, 15th birthday, he told my oldest daughter, it sounds like a soap opera or something, in a Facebook message that he was back in Cambodia and that he was with his girlfriend and he had been cheating on me for four years. Like almost the whole time we lived in Cambodia, he was cheating on me with a Cambodian woman who he met at a massage parlor where she worked. So this whole, <laughs> and, and so just so many emotions and healing that I've worked through in the last two years, but much of it is my sadness and anger that I feel like he has tried, tainted my, my memories of Cambodia, like sure. what Cambodia was yeah, to me and what it wow. means to me. And then he, well, then he got kind of sick or something and he had to come back to the States for like surgery. And then he just dumped this woman that he'd been with that he said he was going to marry and found a new girlfriend in, mm-hmm. in the US. So that like, yeah, that'll take me a while to work through no all kidding. of that. Yeah. But what I have found, like, I'm actually ready for some calm and some peace. And each of my kids has gone through some stuff we all have during this pandemic, course, right? Yeah. Like, there's just so much mental stuff. And with each of them and the different it's, um, it has been rough but also really really good but it's it's taken me a while to we talk about Cambodia now we talk about our good memories but for a while there it was just like and I'm sure it'll it'll take a while um but so much to unpack and people supporting us over there while he Mm -hmm. did this and he's still acting like he's this godly person like talks about God all the time and how God has forgiven him and everything's fine what I have found is that I've found community and connection and relating to people when I talk about the hard stuff in my life rather sure. than it's what I don't love about trying to promote my book because I don't want to be like this influencer who always like I talk about myself. I have these great stories. I it's I connect better individually with people or people sure. who feel my pain or it, it helps them. So the, the initial first few months and year even were really, really tough. I didn't sleep much <laughs> like mm-hmm. I had a lot of anxiety um 
And I do feel like a lot of healing has happened in my heart and we're moving forward with more libraries in Cambodia. And I found work that I can do from yeah. home. Oh, nice. And my kids are stable and hanging in there Yeah. and figuring out what they want to do with their lives. And I'm writing my own things and mm -hmm. meeting all kinds of people. How has yeah. that journey impacted your relationship with God? I know you'd mentioned kind of deconstructing. Did that start out of this or did that start earlier? It did not, which is funny to me because I've written some poems. I also have a, um, a poem newsletter. It's on oh, Substack cool. mm -hmm. and it's called Poems in Progress. And it's kind of where I'm working through the poems that will be in my next book. Or sometimes I'll, I'll share. I just do one poem every Thursday and I'll share a poem from my book and then explain some things that I've written in it. Um, but one of the poems I just shared recently was um, there's a lot going on. People say, well, people are just deconstructing because it's trendy or it's it's sexy or whatever. It's not. Or people deconstruct their faith because they want to have sex with whoever they want. Or, mm. And so the poem is more about, I was a virgin when I got married. I've only ever been with my husband. He cheated on me for four years and was talking about God and all this stuff. I have never had sex outside of marriage. Probably safe to say that's not why I deconstruct yeah. it. <laughs> Um, but that aside, since my, my deconstructing started, I would say around 2008, 2009. So this was going, and for a very large part of it, he and I were, I wouldn't say in tandem, but definitely learning and going through things. So we both started going to this church together, learning about anti-racism, waking up to that. He would post things. He became LGBTQ affirming. I would say say a little bit later than I did, but we're kind of on this similar path. Mm -hmm. Looking back now, I do see that one of the things that he always struggled with was when I would talk about anything that had to do with feminism, mm. probably because that's the one that affected him. Like if I sure. started not submitting to him or not doing the, yeah. that was going to affect him, but absolutely not like this, my divorce had nothing to do with it, which I'm really, really yeah. thankful for because no one can point to that and, and say that this is a long time. Sure. And no one can say that my deconstructing drove him away because he mm -hmm. was, he was on that path too. Right. I feel like he's, I, I don't pay attention to what he's doing these days, but I, I get the sense that he's backpedaling to some other things. Like he would stand up against his own family when it came to immigration issues and stuff. And I thought, it was just because of his heart and because maybe his heart for his son-in-law, it might've had something to do with the fact that he was planning on bringing his Cambodian girlfriend <laughs> to the U S I don't know. He definitely stood up for things along the deconstruction journey. My son-in-law pointed out that in Cambodia, if you do something terrible, something very wrong or commit a sin or do something that has disgraced your family, you go to the, the Wat, which is the temple and you become a monk. And you do service there. And what you're basically doing is winning your way back into oh, wow. society and into your family. You may or may not believe what you're doing. Like you may sure. or may not be sincere about it, but that's how you're going to do that. And my son-in-law actually said of his father-in-law, that feels like what he's doing when he does these Facebook mm. posts about God and everything after yeah. he left me in a bit that he's trying to pretend like he believes a certain thing about God anyway. Sure. So no, that my deconstruction it it was a slippery slope but it started in around 2008 9 10 okay. with um, a book called a hole in our gospel by richard stearns who actually mm. um i forget if it's world vision or something one of those organizations that helps people in different countries but he has a yeah. story in there about uganda and 
how he just woke up to the fact that, wait a minute, if I'm just, if my good news is just Jesus died on the cross for your sins, accept him and go to heaven. How is that helping these AIDS orphans in Uganda? How is that good news to them if I was leaving them in their poverty? And so then he goes back and realizes all these verses in the Bible that talk about loving the poor that he had ignored. Same with me. I had ignored those verses. And so that was one of those things. That's an example of me reading a book. I was reading it at the pool and I have a poem about that. Like I'm just with my Twizzlers reading this book and like once my eyes are open. So I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute. And then I started reading a whole bunch of books about poverty in different countries and all that stuff. And from there, then it was like the the racism piece came. And then from there, it was the LGBTQ community. And then from there, it was like, are pro-life people really pro-life if they're anti like right. <laughs> every kind of life and they only care about unborn babies? Like, but for real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's when, that's when it started sure. and it just kept going from there. And so where another poem in my book is called, where have I landed? Because that's what people want to know. Um, like my parents want to know. So what do you believe now? That's a, that's a natural question. Like we want to yeah. kind of figure out where people are the poem and it's giving it away, but it's not really, is that I'm, I'm like a bird. Like I haven't landed. Like I don't, sure. I don't, why would I land when I can like fly around sure. and see, and also the slippery slope and how the view from before I was like down on the ground looking up. Now when I'm up here, I can just see everything like my my vision is not so myopic and idea of I I don't actually need to know exactly mm. what I believe. I'm still reading. I, I read theology books every day. I haven't been to church in a long time, but the difference is instead of theology by old white men, it's uh, womanist theology by black women. It's queer theology, uh, black sure. liberation theology, learning what, how they have yeah. read the Bible for so long and how in the world enslaved people could cling to God mm-hmm. for so long when God did not deliver them from slavery. Like, right. and God delivered the Israelites, but not African yeah. Americans. And, and just realizing that even if I were to, I've definitely discarded my white evangelical Christianity. Sure. Like that is something that I don't hold to, but where I will end up I don't think that I'll have like a doctrinal statement (laughs) by the time I'm 55. I think I will still be working that out and figuring that out. And I think that's actually how it's supposed to be. I mean, Paul even says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If it was already finished and fixed and figured out, like even in his letters that he wrote to to people that probably were not ever for us to read. Yeah. He's changing his mind as he goes, Mm -hmm. like different things that he is thinking and believing. And I wonder if we'd had more letters, like what would we have learned? Or Rachel Held Evans, who I dedicated Mm. my book to because she changed changed my whole life with her writing Mm -hmm. um, and wondering what would she be teaching and preaching and writing today if she hadn't died when she was 37? Um, Because, you know, like we have her books, but they would have been better and Mm -hmm. more evolved. And she would say this one thing that I said back here, this is why I don't believe it now. Um, I would have loved to hear her thoughts on, on the pandemic and on the racial reconciliation we're working through. She, I dedicated the book to her and I, I I heard about her book and I was like, I don't think I can read this because she is me. Like she Mm -hmm. literally is this zealous on fire Christian, like telling everybody about Jesus at her high school. And yeah, 
if she's changing her mind, like this is not one of those flaky people who probably never really believed anyway, which is what some people who don't know me have said right. to me. Mm. Um, and some people who know me, which is the that's brutal. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's ridiculous because you have these people have no idea. Did these people have 62 right. journals filled with prayers to God? Right. No, they don't. I do. <laughs> like, right. You think you think I was playing around? You think I wasn't serious about this? No. I was so serious. So when I did read her book and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, like the, she's talking about Holocaust victims mm-hmm. who they went from the furnace directly to hell. If what I believe wow. is true, then that's what happened to them. They were in a concentration camp. They were burned in an oven and then now go spend the rest of your eternity in hell yeah. or someone who wakes up in Mongolia on this hillside and it's like right after Jesus died on the cross and they never found out about it and they died. Yeah. And I'm like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and before I would just say, God's ways are higher than our ways. We don't know why this happened. God, like all. Yeah. And I couldn't do that anymore. If I was going to be honest Yeah. and still looking back now, I'm a pretty smart person and the things that I believed Mm-hmm. I can't, if people will ask me who know me now, they didn't know me then. They're like, wait, you believed that? Yeah. And I'm like, I know, I know. I, just, I thought that it was the truth. And that even if it didn't make much sense, God knew. And yeah. I, it's just a whole yeah. big thing. And if you're, if you weren't in it, you don't quite get it. So I've had people, friends of mine read my book and they're like, okay, some of these people right now that are saying all this stuff, it makes a little more mm-hmm. sense if they yeah. believe like what you're saying. Uh, but now it's so far extreme. Some of the things that people will cling yeah. to that are just blatantly, obviously untrue and they don't care. But yeah. Again, How do you deal whole... with the people <laughs> who doubt that you ever believe to begin with? Um, I don't care about them. Like <laughs> I, it's, it's, there's no, like, if you knew me, yeah. then, then you know better. If sure. you've read my book and then my next book that's coming out will be some more of going into more detail about that, yeah. about the journals, about the stuff. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's just no way. And so it actually, I am at a, an advantage because when I do argue with people, I'm like, listen, I perfected your argument for 35 years of my life. What you are saying to me now, I know that argument. I could say it in my sleep. Like that was how I believe. So now all the things that I'm learning to refute you, you don't know about these things because you have not taken the time to learn this other perspective. So who it's not a win, like a win lose thing. Cause I don't really engage people in big fights anymore. It's not what I, how I want to spend my energy, but you're not going to quote unquote win against me when I know your whole entire side and all of your like hot topic punchline whatever yeah. kind of things and then I know this um now can I convince people of things probably not do I cr- try to find ways that I can build a bridge and convince them I do but I don't try forever and, and mm-hmm. to give all of my time to one person sure um I would rather encourage other people who are open to reading like get those people on yeah. the path to to learning and stuff rather than spend all my time with one purposefully antagonistic person. Um, right. And I have some people in my life, this person's not my life anymore, but someone who disowned me, but he wrote 12 pages to me wow. of all of my her- heresies on Facebook and on my blog and everything. Oh my and gosh. they wanted me to refute them. And I was like, 
<laughs> listen, I could, I could refute your scripture with my scripture. Like we could go back and forth, even though like everything he said was from Paul. Like you're kind of ignoring the, the minor oh, prophets, you're ignoring yeah. Jesus, <laughs> yeah. which is typically how that goes. Um, yep. I found a trend that there are certain things that people avoid Jesus being one of them when they're arguing with scripture. Um, Jesus said a lot of things that Christians are not <laughs> oh my gosh. fans of. For real. <laughs> I know that that is one. There are several things you could say to me that might have an element of truth in it. That one is 100% false. Like there's not even any wiggle room for you must not have been serious or you must not have been really yeah. saved or, yeah. I mean, I went to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night when we were missionaries in Cambodia, it was like, I was at church six out of seven days. Right. <laughs> Just like, I gave up everything in this country to go to another country and tell right. people about Jesus. I, I mean, I, I've got all of the receipts. Another yeah. poem I'm working on is, is me and Paul and he gives all his credentials. Like in, there's a sure. section where he get, and I, yeah. so I give all my nice uh, credentials and I'm like, Paul, were you a Christian clown? I was a Christian clown when I was eight and nine years old at my church. So it was like this witnessing thing that we yeah. did. Like, oh my gosh. Oh, wow. Um, he was not a Christian clown. So I have like all this stuff to back me up. Sure. My yeah. sincerity. And um, so then also it does give me some street cred, I guess you could say that when I talk to people, I'm like, listen, I changed my mind about this. This is how I used to believe. I wrote mm -hmm. books to tell women how they could sure. submit to their husbands and be really good wives. Like that's, I believe that. And I told them they should believe it too. That was what I mm -hmm. thought. It's not like I've always been this raging feminist who <laughs> believes that women should be equal to men or anything yeah. like that. So but. you've published those books. I think you, you said you published them traditionally. Do they still exist yeah. like out in the world and are still they being printed? What do you do about that? <laughs> they do. Okay. So in the back of my book, I have an appendix where I talk about all my old books and warn people like, don't read this one. Don't read this one. Don't read this one. This one's okay. Um, the first one from blushing bride to wedded wife came out oh, in gosh. 2006. It went out of print, which I was devastated by at the time because not sure. enough people bought it. Sure. Um, but now I'm not devastated by it. Um, <laughs> and I actually rewrote it as an ebook like six years later. And I'd already had some different thoughts. I need to go back oh, and wow. read that one. Sure. I recently got a box when it went out of print, I bought 1900 copies of it from the publisher wow. for a dollar a copy. And a friend of mine recently sent me, she found a box, a full box of my books in her basement yeah. like this year wow. and said, do you want these to go to the thrift store? Or would you rather, I was like, no, I said, send them to me and I will do something with them. So I'm going to do like some blackout poetry. We're going to do some nice. like, different things where we make it into. And then the next one is called, is that all he thinks about how to enjoy great sex with your husband? It was 2007, 2008, changing your world one diaper at a time for moms. And then 2009, expecting a devotional for pregnant women Wow, that was given to all these crisis pregnancy centers, which is another thing that I can oh, go gosh. into. But mm -hmm. so expecting is the only one that is still in print. I just got a royalty check last week. I get two a year and it was $237. Wow. So this is, it's okay. actually decent because 2022, that was 2009 and I'm yeah. still getting money from that. Um, but yeah, that's the only one that's still in print. 
and the other three, you can buy them. So you can buy them sure. used or you can buy them. I guess the publisher, when they go out of print, they'll still print on demand or something. Oh, okay. Um, so I got, I get royalties like in April and November from those books. It's a different publisher. And I got $37 um, in April. Perfect. So someone somewhere <laughs> is buying those books, but I, I can't, I have no control over that. And I do sure. tell people don't I mean it's just they're funny and they're good like I still I mean obviously my writing I think has improved sure. but I still stand by some of that stuff but it's just the regurgitated I read all the Christian women books and then I decided to make my own book that was funny by a young married woman and but yeah. I was I, I I asked myself I read part of it just a couple weeks ago and I got nauseous and I was like yeah. how was I so beaten down like mm. I have to submit I'm a lowly worm and the same time was so arrogant like this is how you have to dress you don't need to be going around like immodest and think wow. of your husband and he how and so I'm still working through that sure. I'm gonna write some more about it um but I see that now I see these evangelical Christian wives yeah. that are just out there upholding the patriarchy mm. with every breath and yeah wow mom bloggers or whatever I don't and again we can't put everybody in a box but sure. just the things I see myself mm -hmm. in them and it's not I'm not proud of this and there it is out for the like the whole world to see sure but again what a really cool opportunity to have in writing how I used to believe and sure. then see who I am now. Wow. Um, I've encouraged fellow white people on this deconstruction journey is make sure that you are listening to black and brown mm. folks during yeah. this all, because you, because what my tendency was is like, throw this Christianity out the window. Well, it's my version of it, not sure. the whole of it. I didn't know about how everybody else reads the Bible yeah. and how everybody else experiences God. And that's not my place to throw any of that out and to realize I can be upset with how Christian patriarchy hurt me, but I also need to be very upset about how Christian white supremacy hurt black people. Like yes, I can't just do it from my own, my own hurt or my own perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just told someone on Twitter the other day that they asked, how are you not angry all the time about how you were yeah, duped in different things. And I said, my anger for myself has kind of settled. Um, I'm not as bitter about that anymore. Like they used me as a pawn in their game. And I'm, um, but my anger on behalf of other people, marginalized people, that is still like boiling sure. and often gets bigger and bigger, which I, I think that it, that it should. Um, because I can forgive people for what they did to me. I don't get to forgive people for what they did sure. <laughs> to, to other people. And it's still yeah. happening. And right. yes, there are pastors waking up. And yes, there are churches that are making, um, they're becoming more inclusive or are like doing anti-racism work. Um, but there's a whole lot that are, are fighting it. And right. instead of like, how can we have justice and love for everyone they're like well you can't say these words and don't talk about this and don't talk about racism and oh, yeah it's a it's a, it's a, it's a tough thing yeah for sure yeah. tell us about your new book 
my new book is a secret. So I can't Ooh, tell okay, you. Okay. Never mind. Don't yeah, tell me no, anything. No, but I will, <laughs> I will give you a hint. Okay. So here's the hint. The hint is that my plan was two books that go together and I have other ideas for other books. Like I unschooled my kids. So I have a book like about unschooling and some other things, but this particular book thing was going to be two books. One is going to be unbelieve. And then the second book I was going to move into like this expansive book about God and my ideas about spirituality, what I'm learning from indigenous peoples, mm-hmm. what I'm learning from black, um, like queer theology, woman, like all of my new, exciting, wonderful ideas about God and the world and all this stuff. Well, I tried to start writing it and that anger and bitterness that I was talking about, it would not let go of me. I was mm. like, I still have a whole lot. Like there's some sure. of that in, in, in unbelief, but I didn't go super deep. And like all of the things that have been happening was I didn't talk about abortion at all in my first book on purpose, because I know that that one issue is something that if you start to talk about that, people will often just, they won't listen to anything else that you say. For me, the whole pro-life pro-choice thing came at the, like my changing mind and heart came at the very end of all these other things that I changed my mind about. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I didn't say that. Well, I had a lot of things to say about that. I had way more to say about racism and all these. So I started writing some of that down and I thought, okay, you know what? This is actually three books. This is, here's my story. Here's how it started. Here's how this, then it's, I got a lot more to sure. get off my chest and go a lot deeper in a lot of different things. And then hopefully that third book will be all the, the new, yeah. wonderful, expansive things that I've learned. Now I realize life doesn't fit perfectly into a trilogy and it won't nope. be like, I'm honest about that, but books do fit. Like you yeah. can make books fit and that's kind of the, the progression. So yes, that one I'm hoping will come out in December. Cool. I'm close to being finished with it. Just recently, I looked at it. And I thought this is complete crap. And I remember a month before my other book came out, I had that same thought. I was like, mm-hmm. none of this is any good. I should just throw it all away. That means and you're about 80% done. Th- yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, okay, I remember this now. I remember yep. those feelings. I kind of set it aside and I started looking through it again. I was like, okay, this is, this is good. And a friend yeah. of mine who had been to Rome and it seemed like Michelangelo's sculptures is an unfinished sculpture collection. And she was telling me that you can see the stuff coming out of the marble and it's just amazing. And she said, I feel like that's your book right now. Like Hmm. you just have to sculpt away the stuff. And that that's how my writing process is too. I do a lot of here's all the writing. And then I take off this, take off this, take off this. And then that's what it looks like now, which is why it turned into poetry. I've been trying for five or six years to write a book about my deconstruction journey. And it just felt so big and daunting and everything. So I started chipping away and making these into smaller things and realizing I don't have to say the whole entire thing. I can leave some space. I can leave some questions. And so, yeah, I think we're on pace for December. And then, like I said, in at the end of September, I'm having a birthday party for my book and giving away a bunch of my friends' books and other things cool. and celebrating her one year in Yay, the world. Hey, oh. one year. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah. I know this episode is winding down, but the conversation with Marla is just getting started. Be sure to hit subscribe so you can come back as we talk about what it's like to learn about race as white women. Episode two coming soon. Until next time, know that you are loved, know that you matter, 
Know that your story matters and know that I'm cheering for you. We'll see you again in two weeks. Bye-bye.